Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Land of Talk is a band and performing moniker spearheaded by Elizabeth Powell. Based in Montreal at one point, Powell spent her formative years as a musician in Guelph, Ontario, playing in bands and establishing herself as a strong, outspoken, and compelling songwriter. Her latest Land of Talk record is called Life After Youth, which came out in the spring of 2017 via both Saddle Creek and Dine Alone Records. And Powell has been playing solo shows of late, including a pay-what-you-can afternoon show in Guelph on January 28th at the Red Papaya, which has prompted us to catch up for a conversation. Part of the Entertainment One podcast network and sponsored by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts, this is the 377th episode of Creative Control, featuring Elizabeth Powell of Land of Talk, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Liz. How's it going? Hey, Vish. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm very well. It's nice to have you on the show. Nice to be here. Where are you right now? I am in Orillia, Ontario, my my first hometown. I consider Guelph my second hometown. Yes, I didn't. Um, I didn't mean to mischaracterize your origins. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. That is where I cut my teeth, and that's where musically I kind of became my musical self. So, yeah, I attribute Guelph with all. My, I attribute the the Guelph waters. To my musical career. <laughs> and uh, so so you're from Aurelia originally? Yes, that's a mouthful. Yeah, just outside Aurelia, Mount St. Louis, where um, I don't know if anybody is familiar with the, the Mount St. Louis Moonstone ski hills. That's uh, out in the countryside. That's where I was born and raised. I, I've heard but now, it, I, now I live in the city proper. You live in the city. I've heard that, uh, that those are the ski hills that are desirable for Ontarians. Like, we don't have mountains here, for those who don't know. We don't. We don't. We have bumps. Yeah. <laughs> we have bumps. And people from <laughs> Quebec or Alberta, when they see what we consider ski mountains like we have a a hill here that we call blue mountain yes and they laugh they laugh at the mountain how is that a mountain they say yeah it's a misnomer <laughs> but you know what um as a, I, I took up snowboarding when i was younger and uh they have great uh parks and great pipes and stuff so we kind of tend to just to stay do all that we actually it, it actually makes you more of a, a thrill seeker and a risk taker when you don't have the mountains because you end up having to make your own thrills so I think we took more risks and did more like off trail, tr- going through the trees. I would get stuck in tree wells, and uh, <laughs> I smashed myself enough times to. Um, yeah, I don't do it anymore, but I, I think I chipped my coccyx once. Oh, I've done so that. It I, still hurts to sit down. Yeah, um, for a prolonged period of time. I'm sorry to hear that, but I mean, you, you need. <laughs> I have children. I like to let them get hurt 
wait, that didn't come out right. I want them to do well. I don't want them to get hurt. But I think it builds resilience. And, you know, it's like Pavlovian. If you do that, you're going to get hurt. You don't want to be. Yeah. You you need to know that it's going to hurt. Exactly. No, you don't want to. You don't want to uh, have the whole world be a, a padded room, and you don't want to helicopter them. So yeah, yeah, good on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you left Aurelia. How old were you when you left Aurelia? Um, it was oh, it was so traumatic. It was grade four going into grade five, and I had to say goodbye to all my friends. But then I was so welcomed with. with so I had such a warm welcome to my new friends at Ecole uh, Saint René Goupy. I was a. I went at the French school. So yeah, grade five was my. My introduction to Guelph. Grade five French immersion. That's quite uh, quite the transition. Or wait, were you doing yeah. were you doing French immersion in uh, in Aurelia? Yep, Samuel de Champlain over to Saint René Goupy. Nice, and yep. that that is paid off handsomely. It actually did, and then moving to Montreal, yeah, it helped me get jobs and work as a server in Montreal and uh, and work as a um, even on um, doing translations for toy commercials for Spin Master Toys. I uh, I oversaw the translation sessions, so. Um, yeah, it actually did. It did help. And I got to like, and I can be well versed in both languages and I get to hang out with, you know, the, the Francophone musicians. And I even have a song that's a bit in a bit of French in it and it doesn't seem to offend too many Francophones. So, right. yeah, I love it. It's uh, I'm really grateful that I was exposed to that. Well, you mentioned all the daredevil stunts that you participated in when you were growing up in Aurelia, but what about a musical community? There's a, there's a, there's there for a while there, the Mariposa Festival, and it might still be there, was there, I believe. Yeah, yep, it's back, yep, and it's uh, going strong. There's a new artistic director, Liz Scott, and she's, uh, she's doing great things. She's booking all sorts of dope bands. So yeah, I'm fingers crossed. We're hoping that we get in there this summer. And also that's an accessible venue for my dad to go to. So right. that's my that's my a lot of my incentive is just like, ah, let's get dad out to this show. <laughs> How's your yeah, dad doing? So cool. Um he's doing great and then sometimes not so great, but in terms of where he was four years ago, great. You know? Yeah. So the winter is tough. He can't get out and uh and just do that little walk around the block that seems to, you know, give him the energy and the the strength that uh and just the, that that moral boost the morality boost so it, the winter's a bit tough but i mean his friends pick him up take him to the y he can walk on the treadmill for five minutes sometimes they take him around the track i mean his friends and the community really make sure that he's up and out and and he says now he sees himself more as this sage that's just meditating on a mountain like he can spend lots of hours just in this meditative state and and he seems to really enjoy that. So yeah. and he's really good at, he watches films and then he breaks them down for me and gives me these great reviews. And I asked him if I could film him sometimes just doing some of his film critiquing. So look out for that. I might be posting some of those because they're just, he's so, in, he's just, he's brilliant. And I love, he's got such a sensitive outlook and uh, I just, I love hearing him speak on things. So yeah, he's, he's doing great, but uh, physically he's, he's still mad at his right arm because it's just not, it's not doing anything, he says. Mm. It's just not, you know, it's not obeying what is his, he wants, you know, it's not doing what he wants it to do. But, um, but yeah, I'm lucky he's around and I'm lucky that I get to hang out with him. No, it's great. And for those who don't know, I think you've been open about this. Your father suffered yep. a stroke, right? Yeah, he was in the hospital for, uh, he had a quadruple bypass. And then um, the next day he stroked out in the hospital. Mm. And that's kind of the only instance where you're not allowed to administer the um, clot buster, like that stroke um you know, the medicine. Mm -hmm. So he ended up just, they had to let him stroke, like they brought him to the ICU and they just had to let him stroke out oh, I see. fully. Hmm. So he, he's, he's left-handed though. So he, the lucky thing is, is that he stroked out on his left side of his brain. So he's right side paralyzed. So right. he's hemiplegic, but he still has the use of his left hand and um, he can still uh, stand up and walk with a cane. Um, you know, um, it's compromised, but he can get to the bathroom and get around a bit. Right. So right. he's better off than a lot of, people and he made it so that's also a bonus yeah so, well yeah. no that's that's it's heartening to hear and, and it's heartening to hear your words about it i was going to say uh I, I mentioned the daredevil stuff i went on a tangent about mariposa were you were your <laughs> were your parents and your family were they supportive of you in your interest in music and did you have an interest in music when you were growing up in aurelia because i know you yes. as a guelph music person but did you have music in aurelia for yourself there Yes, so the music, um, as far as I remember it, and from what my mom retells, is that 
uh, well, as as growing up with my brother, who he's three years older, so he was already showing like lots of just creative, you know, manifestations. He would just always be running around doing characters, very comedic stuff, very physical comedy. Um, he was in dance lessons very early on, and I kind of followed suit. Um, and we had this great ballet teacher in town, Miss Fagan, and she was awesome. She taught my mom ballet. She taught generations of people ballet. And uh, I think she was around like 85 when she taught me. Hmm. And um, she taught my brother. My brother ended up going on to National Ballet School and Quinty School of Dance. And so he kind of ended up, and now he's um, an incredible actor, stage actor at um, Shaw Festival. Oh, wow. So if anybody's ever, yeah, I think it's his 10th or 11th season. He's incredible. And um, I ended up kind of in the more musical realm because I apparently it was um, listening to Stefan Grappelli on CBC, uh, jazz violinist, folk violinist, um, virtuosic, amazing musician. And I think that's when my mom said I really got into the idea of playing violin. I really wanted to sound like that. So she um, enrolled me in lessons with uh, Suzuki teacher Mayumi Kumagai who just lives down the street from me still oh and she um she's still teaching students so it was the violin that got me into it and it was Stefan Grappelli um look him up everybody if you don't know it's just um he just makes the violin sing okay and um yeah and then um I ended up um just kind of composing my own stuff being very I never practiced so that was you know much to my teacher's chagrin but I did just I was constantly on the compositional streak and then, um, yeah, always making up songs on my own, but never performing. And it wasn't until moving to Guelph and meeting up with my friend Melissa McFadden, she, with whom I went to school, and her dad taught her how to play acoustic guitar, and we would meet up at her place and write songs. And um, it was our friend, it was after a fallout with our friend Michael Crozier, who um, I guess we were kind of mean with him or we, we wanted him to buy, he had a little bit of money from his allowance and we wanted him to buy us a chocolate bar at the volleyball tournament that was actually at University of Guelph. <laughs> and he wouldn't buy it for us. I forget what, he didn't have his money, but we were just awful. We were like, well, Mike, then you can't hang out with us. Anyway, we felt really bad, hmm. felt really badly. And we went home that night and we wrote a song called um, We're Sorry, Mike. And we sang it to him on the phone. Oh, that's sweet. And yeah, it goes a little something like this. Oh, we're sorry, Mike. Please forgive us. Oh, we're sorry, Mike. We were wrong. Money was all that mattered. Your friendship was gone. I don't know. And then it goes on and on. And on. <laughs> wow. But like we, it was a full song. <laughs> wow. But then I think we sang that song like like a month later to another friend and just changed the name. But so that was our like our first songwriting. Um, in, our intro to songwriting was like a an apology song. Well, I hope Mike's listening. Is Mike still? Where's Mike? No, he'd Michael be. Michael Crozier, where are you? I think, I, I feel like, um, I think he knows about Land of Talk, and I think we've even had like Facebook exchanges or something over the years. Like, yeah. Anyway, shout out to Mike Crozier. <laughs> uh, okay, so you you said something there I found interesting. You were in the Suzuki school. First of all, is that the thing where your your parents have to play with you? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. They're supposed they, to learn they go with to every you, right? Lesson. They have yeah. to learn with you, or at least just be present with you and they they don't just put you they don't just tell you to go practice they end up like they take notes at the lessons and they get very involved i think in the beginning they need to hold the cracker jack box under their chin with the ruler to, like they don't give you a violin in right. the beginning because right. you're so young it'll just it's like a foregone conclusion you'll trash it right so i think they kind of learn the postures and they learn all the basics and just the principles of it but um after that so it's kind of like a they guide they're they're more present guides instead of I think the Royal Conservatory is very much um just like student teacher, like a closed circuit. Yeah. But um but yeah, so yeah, I was always out at University of Guelph every Saturday from like eight AM to one PM doing all of the orchestra and private lessons and that was my mom would always be in tow and uh all the parents would always be there. So yeah. But you said something there because we've already established that you were the daredevil in Aurelia. Yes. You have a rebellious streak. You wouldn't practice. You, d you didn't like practicing. Why didn't you like practicing, do you think? Um, I think it was probably an attention span thing. And maybe I just loved my ideas more than like, like, that, 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 like, um, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Like maybe I just got a little too big for my bridge. I just, I thought I could maybe do better than Bach. <laughs> I don't know. Right, right, right. You had your own <laughs> ideas and you wanted yeah. to follow your own path. Is is that, Yeah. would you say that's, is that 
common for you? Pers- like, is that is that the, is that the way you are? Do you have a analysis? Of yeah, yourself? I only know that from the way people react to it. Like in my mind, I feel like that's just what people do in life. Like you, you do your own thing, and and you must. But I realize now, as I'm getting older, not so much wiser, but as I'm getting older, and I'm just sort of getting kind of beaten down more from like people sort of looking at me with the hairy eye, kind of looking at you sideways going what the who the heck do you think you are mind you you know what also my privilege and like being white and being like that also allowed me a lot of freedom to do whatever i wanted like i very much am aware now that like i could be free and i could do all those things because you know getting looked at sideways isn't really gonna stop you from doing a lot i'm sure uh I just feel like I'm realizing now I was afforded a lot of freedoms and was very um, just alert or ignorant to just how enti- privileged I was. So and am so yeah, that you- also plays into it. Like I have to also, uh, you know, Guelph was very white. You know, like that's just the demographic. Oh, I'm aware. Not, I'm aware. You know? so, I'm still here. Obviously, I'm still here. <laughs> still there. I'm still, still here. Still kicking it, beach. Still, still the brown guy Represent. in Guelph. No, there's yeah. a few more of us actually, but. I uh, I grew up in Cambridge, and I yeah. think I had a similar like when I left, I had this myop- myopic view of it as being this kind of conservative town. We needed to break out of it to find ourselves, and and I moved to Guelph, where yeah. it, where it felt like freedom was encouraged, uh, artistic freedom, creative yes. freedom. Did you have that experience when you arrived here, or when you realized? Did did you at yes. any point as a child? You could say grade four, grade five. Did you kind of figure out Guelph like would would uh, you know kind of bolster your rebellious spirit? Yes, I was I, I was um, in tight with Tom Kiefer. I ended up getting arrested when I was fourteen for um, spray painting on uh, was it Gordon uh, right Gordon Street right up to the university. Yeah. Remember they were they t- they cut down all the huge beautiful hundred two hundred year old trees and Tom and I and a bunch of other activists went out and spray painted on the road save our trees. And then, whoop, whoop, we ended up getting, uh, the cops ended up arresting. Do you remember all that? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. They arrested, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was protected under the Young Offenders Act. People took to um, the Guelph Mercury, all these people rode in. And because my mom ended up coming to pick me up and saw the cop cars. So she said, well, if you're arresting my daughter, you have to arrest me too. This is ridiculous. So she ended up (laughs) getting caught up in it. And people were writing in saying, like, either some people were saying, woohoo, you go, Val. Like, Mm -hmm. you teach your daughter you know, what's right, and teach her how to act, like be an activist. And then some people were just saying, tisk tisk, like what a horrible way of parenting. Like just hilarious. But the fact that there was even a forum and even like just the fact that there was a scene there and an activist scene and an activist spirit and staging all like this, the walkouts. I mean, that's how Tom got expelled from Yeah, that's schools. right. Yeah. So like, yeah, that was, and that's how I met Beth Misen and, and then Pussy Shoot, like Michelle, oh my gosh, Michelle Thorson. Like that's, she was a huge influence on just, my my awareness my feminist like my budding feminist spirit we had these and magaly meager yeah um we they started this girl gang called smug smelly messy unkempt girls and i remember the sticker i I put it on my violin um we had a sticker with sort of this like superhero looking woman with a laser gun straddling the the title like the, the lettering that said um, like kill your local rapist or like it was a very mm. like militant feminist um, spirit happening and uh, I definitely wouldn't be the person I am today had I not moved it like it was a I'm so grateful and so happy that that I did end up going to go off like it was such a traumatic tear from my home yeah and all of my beginnings but man it was so good for me and uh yeah it just it helped me you know become the uh i guess the outspoken feminist boss ass beach that i am today <laughs> is it simplistic to draw a line between all that activity you're just describing and your discovery or love of punk oh no oh well, the love of punk, I can remember. I remember, like, Shot Maker. Min- I guess it was because of that scene that then I embraced. Yeah, the, like, I guess I was. Uh, there was the St. George's dances, too, which kind of helped, um, I guess, like, peak my love of, like, harder music. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Guelph had a really rich something- post-hardcore kind of... Community. Yeah. yeah. Who was... And Minnow, oh, my gosh. Like, watching Robin Lynn play bass... 
blew my mind and how he used to just like face his base rig. Yeah. And then, yeah, the shot maker, I think it was, yeah, um, watershed shot maker shows. I can remember being so inspired by the bass player that I, that's when I, after babysitting for a summer, I went to a pawn shop in King City and bought my first bass, which was fretless bass, because I thought that it was very, it was like the logical or like the closest jump from a violin. It's fretless, just like a violin. I could, I had a facility on the fretboard. Yeah. So that's, that was my kind of, um, my first step into like, oh, I'm going to plug in and I'm going to, I'm going to be badass. And then I can remember just the posture of the way, I forget his name, um, Pi, what's his, anyway, the bass player from Shopmaker. He used to like hunt, just, just his posture. And you could always see his underwear hanging out of the top of his pants and right. he never really. And that, I was practicing in the mirror once. And I remember my dad came in. I was like on the bed doing that. <laughs> he was like, oh, Lizzie, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm punk rock, dad. did that get you into actually starting bands because i would have seen you play in a few bands at that point nope it was always somebody else it was like andrew collins who i remember we used to go um up to his place after school and listen to music and just play around and jam and it was the valentines like james ogilvy and uh evan gordon and me like it was always other people's bands that would invite me in surf rock explosion like bonnie what right um all those so it was always like oh come on like join us and because we were so few like there weren't actually for guelph we did have a lot of women like representing Mm -hmm. um but i think yeah there was just this inclusiveness and this uh people kind of took to and like the jimmy guthrie and all his kind of basement jams that would happen, like the Stuart Gunn Band. And I, I remember the Rock Sack being just a real hub for inspiring and encouraging creativity and music. And uh, I just remember I was always really supported and really, like I got really held up and really like uplifted by that whole community. So, um, yeah. And then also Fugazi. I think hearing Fugazi for the first time it just changed my life. So that did, too. Did you see any of their Guelph shows? I never saw their Guelph shows. I ended up seeing them, funnily enough. I, had, I went all the way to, I was living in Galway uh, for a semester um, with my friend Lauren. Yeah. And they were playing in Dublin. And I took the bus to Dublin and I watched them play. I have the poster up. I grabbed the, the, the photocopied black and white poster. So that was Sunday, May 9th, 1999, Temple Bar Music Center. Doors at 7.30 p.m., tickets 8 pounds. Yeah, Curved Street, Temple Bar. 99? So I have that. Uh, wow. Yeah, not okay. crazy? That is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay, because they, they famously played a couple of shows here. And I, I I don't know if you know this, but the first show or set that I ever saw at the Hillside Festival, the first time I ever went, was you yeah. playing. I think it, Yeah, I think it was you playing on the Sun stage with maybe Simon Osborne and either Jamie Thompson or Nathan Lore playing drums. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Holy moly. And I think you were you were Liz Powell at that point. Yeah, totally. And that would have been the summer before university because I had made cassette tapes called Belle Epoque. Jim Guthrie recorded me in his living room on two-track. And I made cassette tapes um, to try and raise funds for 
my tuition, right? which it wasn't even a drop in the bucket. But still, I remember that summer. Yeah. Yeah. And it was remarkable. And I mean, I'd seen you a bunch by Whoa. that point and I was a big fan. But I mean, how did you get from all of that to Land of Talk, if we can jump ahead? Do you remember... Because all of this, I can tell, if, if for people who have been following Land of Talk, I think I would hope that they can say now, oh, all of these things we've been talking about inform some aspects yes. of Land of Talk. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Um, if anything, yeah, Land of Talk should have happened right... Like, if anything, I didn't need to go to university. Like, it, I went to music school, and I just found that it crushed my spirit, and uh, I'm not a good student anyway, and I wasn't great with time management, and I was dealing with all these, like feelings of just being in a new city, like being in Montreal after having been in such a supportive um, like insular community um, that was like a rough go for me so um, I really just should have you can't just create Land of Talk but I just I would have wanted to have just been in a rock band right away but um, had I not gone to Concordia I wouldn't have met Bucky Yeah, and Bucky's the reason why um, I think for a while in Montreal I was uh, I got caught up Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. With some, I'm going to just say it, like some slimy, just like not a great vision, like producers who just had the wrong idea. They right. saw a woman, they saw a woman, a young woman, um, and they kind of took it from, like, that's all they saw. It was pretty, again, like a myopic, one, one-dimensional one view of what I could do. And uh, kind of they romanticized just one, like they kind of amplified one aspect. And um, I let it happen because I thought that was a good idea and I ended up going to LA and trying to do this more solo slick thing and I just uh, I let that get too far and um, it takes a while to kind of but I was always active in the music scene and always writing my own songs but it wasn't until um, Richie Perry love you Richie um, probably is listening some people some people might know Richie from his band Arcade Fire yeah among others yeah yeah among others um he just sent me a really funny... Anyway, that's really funny. We just had a really funny interaction. He was like, oh my God, I just had a dream that I was chasing you around a high school and I was dressed in a pink kimono. It was really funny. <laughs> but um, so um, he, I guess, had a tape that... He had my cassette tape that... Because I had played with Mikey Feuersack. I played a couple runs in Ontario with Snail House. Yeah. Um, love you, Mikey. And uh, we played in Ottawa at uh, Little Bighorn, at um, Dave Drave Studio. I think it's Little Bighorn. That's right, yeah. And an outside concert, and Richie bought the cassette. And then Richie was in the music program, so I'd see him in the hallways, and he was always really cool with me, and we became friends. And he somehow got the tape to Bucky. Bucky and Chris McCarron heard it, and then one night I get a call, uh, and I wrote a song about it called Got a Call. And I got a call from them being like, Lizzie, let's plug these songs in. Let's rock them out. Like, let's make your solo songs. Like, let's amplify you. So really, like, their whole, like, um, their whole motivation was just like, let's take your songs and make them louder. Like, yeah, let's bring them out. Let's get outside of yourself kind of thing. And so, again, like, everywhere I am, like, where I am now has never just been because like for for as much as like the outspoken and like really um kind of bullheaded just like plow right through head down do my own thing kind of person i am i also am like very reliant um like i'm very reliant on other people bolstering me and um you know and believing in me so like none of this would have happened had all these had everyone along the way said 
hey, do it. Like, do more of that. Or, like, get louder. Like, be more. And yeah. I, I can't thank them enough for that. Like, I'm really grateful for everyone. I'm sure I'm missing um, – I'm not mentioning a lot of people, but it's because everybody. Like, I just – maybe I'm a bit of a vampire. I just suck it all out of people. But I uh, – <laughs> Well, I, I think we're we're, we're all informed by the people around us. That's fair to say. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I yeah. remember when when Life After Youth came out, there was a lot of uh, information, I suppose, or I was going to say noise, but there was a little bit of noise about the fact that it, it it was your first record in something like seven years, I believe, when it was yeah. released. Is there? And I know you had to speak uh, about this gap and this absence, and I feel like we've alluded to some of the reasons why uh, you took a break, so to speak. Do you have perspective on this even further now that it's been, you know, a few months since the record actually came out? Do you have a some perspective on that break you took and and what it mean what it meant to come back even? Yeah, I think it had never I never intended on it being a break. I remember just kind of reeling from a personal breakup and reeling from um a lot of noise happening in Montreal about like becoming known as just as as like Land of Talk became my identity, and I thought that it was affecting and informing the ways, like my relationships and maybe the way people were seeing me. I felt like maybe it was eclipsing um, my selfhood, like my per- who I was, and maybe it was getting in the way. It was like impeding a bit of personal growth that I think needed to happen. Like I thought maybe I needed something more fulfilling or something more substantial that wasn't always just... Um, like me, 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 performing, giving myself away, being on on stage, literally, like always on stage, always um, impressive, like and funny and entertaining. Like I just kind of felt like there's another side to me that needs, pay, like I need I need to pay attention to that, um, and it's the side of me that, um, you know, like why I picture myself at 80 years old, like on a port like I'm like how am I going to get to that person like there's another kind of thing I need to cultivate and I I didn't know what that was but there was this other side kind of that I felt I needed to feed and I was again yeah reeling from a a breakup so I kind of just headed for the hills or the bumps literally (laughs) 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 Um, headed for the bumps and um, and I thought maybe it was just to like lick my wounds for a bit and write this solo record like I had the best intentions but then I think, left to my own devices, literally, A, it, like, died, the actual laptop. I still stare at it every day. It's dead. It had all, I think I had 16 fleshed out, like, songs that were were to become solo songs. And um, the laptop just it ate them up. Oh, no. Like, I used GarageBand. I don't know. The, all the files were gone. Every, like, so. Um, you mean, like, the computer would turn on, but your files were just gone? Yeah, the computer turns on, oh. just, and I took it to downtown computers here. I had friends look at it. They're gone. Like, the files are gone, like, wiped. Mm. I don't understand. But um, so then I um, I just felt really defeatist, and I thought, well, I guess it's meant to be. And this is where other people come in. Is like, when I moved back to Aurelia, I didn't have community. I was living in isolation. I wasn't, like, and I, and I didn't even talk to, like, best friends of mine from Guelph. Like, I... I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater, and I, I, I don't know how else to explain it. Like, I just, uh, yeah, like I turned my back on everything. Very extreme way of doing things, but I felt like it was necessary. I felt like I needed to somehow get real or like get back to myself. Or, but it ended up being like, oh, I just kind of got lost in that journey of trying to get back to myself. I was like, but I, then I'm nothing without my people, and I'm nothing without my community, and that felt weird. So I just kind of stopped doing music all together like I know that sounds strange because it's um it was the only thing that ever made me um happy but yeah oh okay sorry that was the timer it's probably Richie um, it's probably just Richie calling us it's Richie going like it wasn't a pink kimono it was purple <laughs> um no but um but yeah so there definitely was a personal um so, like something like a break that happened in my mind like a, a break from who I, who I, what I identified with and how I saw myself. And then I looked to, I'm also a, a visual artist and I ended up painting and creating and drawing in that sense. And I ended up um, doing projects with my dad. We would do renovation projects and contracting work. And so I was building sheds and doing carpentry and um, building fences and doing um, like tongue and groove stuff like siding and 
um, just kind of apprenticing. Oh. And then my dad and I would dream about that. Like, okay, dad, when you retire, it's going to be Powell and Daughters, like our little contracting company. So that's, and then I kind of got into that and thought, oh yeah. And then there was this little house that this woman was selling. It's like, it was a crazy, amazing deal. And I totally put everything into it. And I bought this little place thinking that my dad and I would fix it up. And anyway, and then he had a stroke. Which was crazy. Like hmm. the day after, actually, we put in the the kitchen countertop, and we jacked up some of the. We put some jacks in the basement, and um, the next day he went into the hospital. And then three days after that, he had a stroke. So it was like, <gasps> um, I kind of put my eggs into that basket. And then music became his stroke became um, my uh, or the way I dealt with his stroke was. Um, by turning back to me, I returned to music for solace, and I would I returned to li- being more of a listener of music, which I realized I really wasn't. Like right. I hadn't wasn't an, I was always creating, and uh, I just uh, developed this. I fell in love with music all over again and started creating and bringing it to dad, and he would just kind of give me pointer. He would be like, "Whoa, I really like that. That's really I like the repetition. I like the groove. I like the beat. Like he really liked the more hypnotic stuff." And and then from that came. Uh, this time and then the lyrics from this time kind of so it's like everything informs everything eh? like yeah yeah no it's it's pretty beautiful pretty poetic i can't deny that it's uh everything that happened um it's some of it's been crappy some of it's been awesome and um but it's all been life and like how lucky are we i agree to even experience it so i'm super grateful that's been the major takeaway from all of this it's like super grateful every day you know even yeah, on the bad days. You're like, I'm grateful. I'm having a bad day. It's a day. <laughs> it's a day. We're actually having it's a day. It's a day. It's an yeah. actual day. Yeah, I want to. So that's where Land of Talk came from, and then that's what happened, and then that's why it took so long for me to get back. <laughs> but we actually recorded Life After Youth um, over Christmas 2015. It just took a long time for it to come out. So in my mind, it's like I was touring with Land of Talk until 2011, and then really I only took a four year break. But I get it from the outside perspective. It's like. Oh yeah, it looks it looks like seven years, but to me it felt like half of that. But um, yeah, I mean, the general public doesn't know about like production and artwork timelines and all that stuff. And nor should that. Yeah, that's yeah. like it's just yeah. it's just what we see. And 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 as it turns out, you did have a story. It wasn't just that stuff. You had stuff going on that uh, you know is beyond that that sort of stuff. I I, I mentioned that you're playing. Well, you mentioned that you had uh, intended to write a solo record, and I mentioned that you're playing at least. Well, how many solo shows are you playing, would you say? Ooh. So I, um, I'm i playing the Guelph one. I just played one. I just played two in uh, Aurelia. One last Friday, a fundraiser for Teens on the Edge. We made $1,500. Oh, nice job. And uh, I just played a pop-up show with one of my... I'm a diehard fan of this guy, Miller Del Rey. He's mm-hmm. just uh, moved back to Aurelia. He is amazing. You can't find him anywhere. I keep asking him to put his stuff on Bandcamp or put, you know, put him put himself out there. But I put on a show just to facilitate having him play. Like I wanted to open for him, but he wouldn't allow it. So um, we put on a little pop up surprise show, and it was sold out within like four days. So did that, and then playing at the Red Papaya this coming Sunday, and then I'm doing this four day run with Girlpool. Um, in Brooklyn, Boston, D.C., Philly. And then uh, there's some other cool stuff coming down the pipe that I'm not allowed to announce yet. But um, I'm really, really putting the solo stuff forward. Um, I think it's great just for my own chops. Like, it puts me out there just to to help uh, hone my skills as a guitar player. And uh, I'm road testing some some new songs solo so that we can then um, start doing that with the band. But I think that... So it's kind of selfishly for me. I get to uh, yeah brush up on my performance and uh, get some of these songs out and into the world, and then we'll workshop them with the band. And uh, yeah, okay. So, the, so that's, the, that's what the next record is going to be: is all these songs that I'm working on now. That's amazing. And you're you're already yeah. uh, how many songs in? Would you say you are at this point? Uh, well, let's say uh, footnotes, if only. Say hi to the kids. Uh, it ain't right. Uh, I've got about, ooh, the new one, Now You Want to Live in the Light, five, and then fucking nope, six. So seven um, already, like, where I would be happy with just demoing them at this point. And then there's about seven other ones that are floating around. Nice. Either. That's amazing. A strong chorus here or a, or a strong verse there, and sometimes they end up, I... 
can match them. Like sometimes I'm writing six songs at once and really they end up being two fully fleshed out songs when you like, sometimes it's very, this like disparate um, seems like backwards way of doing it, but it all ends up, they're all informing the same, like it's all kind of going to the same record and, and the pieces kind of, the songs kind of fall into place as I get closer to the record. It's, it's a pretty cool process. So your intention with Life After Youth was to write a solo record, and you ended up making a band record. It sounds like your intention here is to make a band record. Uh, <laughs> are you reversible? Maybe it'll be a solo record. Yeah, who knows? You might be reversible. So something might change. Exactly. I'm malleable. I'm into I, I just go with the flow. Going with the flow. Well, it's amazing yeah. that you're working, and we're so happy. Oh, and you're playing in Guelph with James <laughs> Gordon and Sons. I mean, do you have anything yeah. you want to say about these people? Uh, just that I love them with all my heart. And uh, Evan, are you listening right now? I love you. I sent him some of my uh, electro. Oh, that's something I didn't mention. I was doing some electro stuff under the moniker Vagwegian, and I sent him two of those tracks. Um, and he thought they, that he thought that was really funny. And there was another one that I sent him, just a jokey Christmas uh, song that I did a couple years back for my friends. Right. And it was called uh, "Jesus, I Maxed Out Your Visa Card." And um, <laughs> Yeah, he has. I haven't heard from him from that one, so maybe it was offensive. But um, no, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think he would be offended by that. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, those those are my people. Those are. Um, it's funny because their parents are named Val and James, and my mom is named Val, and my dad's name is James, and oh. they hang out all the time. Uh, on the, it's really funny. So like they're best friends, and they have the same names, and. Uh, they all have really cool kids. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so yeah. nice that you you've you you have these connections, these deep connections to Guelph. It's amazing. Oh yeah, it's amazing for me. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Okay, uh, Liz, where can people go to learn more about Land to Talk? Where do you want to send them? Because I know you're on various things. Um, you know what's funny? I basically it's like exclusively a lot of just my um, so social media presence is Instagram because I just love that format. And then I always just end up sharing it to Facebook uh-huh. and Twitter. But I'm always on Instagram. It is, um, you'll have to, like, I'll have to approve you because I have had, unfortunately, um, stalkers and threats and um, right. all those people that all those people that don't like um, empowered women, they, like, they tend to, to gang up on people like me. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's blocked, but I will definitely uh, accept you if, uh, if you're cool. Okay. All right. <laughs> if you're respectful and... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, so yeah, that's uh, Instagram, Land of Talk Music, and um, I am on Facebook too, obviously. But that's just my, most of my activity is Instagram. Okay, Instagram it is. Is there one single song from uh, Life After Youth that you would recommend we play right now? Um. Ooh. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think Macabre is. I that's like that's the last song on the album, and yeah. it just. Um, yeah, I'd say that one. Any particular reason why that came to mind? It um it's funny. It just it hit me the other day. Uh it's just a really powerful song um and in terms of the way that it came together in the studio and the the outro of that song just moves me because I remember Jace Lassick and Olga Gorius that's uh of Besnard Lakes fame another incredible band please check them out mm-hmm. they we record all of our records at uh, break glass studios which is besnard lake studio and i remember um when that song kind of just when it came to and when it, we finally kind of came into fruition and we we played through it it's just something lifted and it's like that was like the push through to the next kind of stage in my life was it was kind of ushered in by that, that song so it's kind of the the soundtrack it's the last track of the record but it's kind of like sets the tone for uh for uh, just the next part of my life what's and next it, yeah um yeah it just it's it's a pretty positive it's positivity and it's all about yeah gratitude so yeah well it's a beautiful record and, and this seems like a lovely choice to go out on so this is macabre by land of talk from life after youth uh, liz this was a, a a real pleasure to have you on this show i thank you for this and i, I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward Likewise, Vishen. Yeah, you too, man. Take care. Slow down, you move too fast. Never liked you working so hard. The devil's in here. 
Special thanks to Liz Powell of Land of Talk for being on this, the 377th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all your finer podcast platforms and things like YouTube as well. Find the show, Creative Control, and uh, it will find you back. I don't, I don't know what I meant there. Anyway, if you can't find an episode you're looking for or you wish to learn more about me or sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter... Please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control with Vishkana on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Vishcreative or follow me at Vishkana. And you can listen 
to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. And you know something? You just did listen to a version of the show that aired on CFRU because Liz and I conducted that interview live on the radio, live on the air. I just grabbed it and then I gave it to you as a podcast. And we didn't even talk about... We talked about so much Guelph stuff. We didn't talk about CFRU, which I know is integral for her, but I wasn't maybe on my game. I don't know. We were, I was just going with the flow. I just forgot all about CFRU. Anyway, thank you. I would never really forget about CFRU. Again, CFRU.ca for more information about this wonderful station. Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. The community radio show is fine, but the podcast could use some money so please patreon.com slash creative control all right thanks to all my uh, sponsors for their support of this show and thanks to you for listening uh please continue to listen and spread the word about creative control download episodes subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to uh to the show and also uh, oh rate and review things positively that seems to help i don't know exactly why but it does i mean i guess i know why anyway please continue doing doing whatever it is you're doing to interact with the show. It's much appreciated. I'll be back with more just as soon as is humanly possible. I will talk to you very soon. Goodbye for now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.